0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Steve, and uh, it's always a privilege and pleasure uh, to guest speak here and fill in for Father Anthony. Um, I love speaking at the well. Y'all know the well's tagline. I always talk about it every time I speak. We call it an ordinary place where something extraordinary happens, right? And so I love that tagline because, like it says, this is an ordinary place, some university in Arlington, Virginia, where something extraordinary happens, and the name the well... Comes from that reference in John chapter 4, the story of the Samaritan woman, where she on that day was going to an ordinary place and just some regular run of the mill day going to the well, and she had an extraordinary encounter with the Savior that changed her life forever. So it's always my hope and prayer anytime I speak here that we would come to this ordinary place and have an extraordinary encounter uh, with Christ Himself. And so it's great to be here as we wrap up the final part of our series, New Year. Bless me, now if you've been joining us for the past four weeks, you've known that we've been talking about this whole business of New Year's resolutions, right? The idea, and we've challenged the traditional New Year's resolutions of personal focus, of individual focus. of How can I get better? How can I achieve something? How can I lose weight? How can I get this relationship? How can I do whatever? And me, 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 and what if we said, what if we flipped it? What if we made a paradigm shift in how we viewed it and said, what if we dedicated this New Year's resolutions the service of others to other people how we can help others and in doing so we really follow follow the model of our lord jesus christ and our theme verse for uh, the series was mark chapter 10 verse 45 where it says for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve to give his life a ransom for many so now for four weeks we've been talking about this business of new year's resolutions dedicated in service to others and every single week, we talked about a different aspect, right? The first week, we talked about the idea of selflessness versus selfishness, right, and the difference between those. And the second week, we talked about how to be the GOAT, G-O-A-T, how to be the greatest of all time. And our greatness comes from what we do for others and how we focus on others. And the third week, we talked all about generosity, about giving. We talked about letting go versus holding on. We talked about the things that maybe we're holding on to, we should be letting go. And finally, last week, We talked about this business of seeking true purpose. And what does it mean to have a true purpose and true calling? And how our true purpose is not found in some flavor of the month cause that I pick up on whatever, but rather our true purpose is found in day-to-day, daily selfless acts for others. And only then will we commit to providing daily selfless acts to others will we find our true calling and true purpose. So I just summarized the last four weeks in about two minutes. And my question today for all of us is where does that leave us? Because I'm going to do something which probably just makes myself feel better and and hopefully makes Father Anthony feel better. I'm going to assume that every single person in this room has been here for four weeks, which is a big assumption I know, but also beyond just being here, has bought into everything that's been said on this stage for the past four weeks. I'm going to assume that every single person here heard every single point that was said, and said, yes, I will do that. I will practice that. I believe in that. So then now I'm looking at two, three, four hundred new, fully devoted, selfless followers of Christ. You bought into the last four weeks. So now I'm looking at selfless, devoted followers of Christ. And my question to us today is, where does that leave us as a church? Can this place be the exact same today as it was five weeks ago or four weeks ago when we started this thing? What is like the end result of all this? Or are we just coming and talking? Are we just coming and sharing? Are we just coming and teaching? And it's just empty words. I believe there's no way this place as an entity, this church, this group of hundreds of fully devoted, selfless followers of Christ can be the exact same today as it was four weeks ago, which begs the question, then what is it today? I believe the culmination of this entire series is in a totally different church, a totally different body of Christ. I believe the culmination of this series is in creating the most influential church, or most impactful church possible. And I'm going to throw out the big idea for today right now, kind of on the front, and we're going to unpack it over the next few minutes. And you may not agree with it on the beginning, but just give me some time and stay with me. But here's the big idea for today that we'll talk about over the next few minutes. The local church is at its most influential when it is most focused on those outside of it. And like I said, that's a bold statement. That is a bold hypothesis to make, that the local church is at its most influential when it is most focused on the people outside of it, on the people not part of it. But just stay with me for a couple minutes, and let's see. Because I'm not smart enough, or I'm not dumb enough, to make such a claim without coming with a little bit of of, of backing here. Because this claim, as bold as it is, comes with some precedent. There's precedent for this idea. Let's go back to Jesus. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus has his closest friends with him during his ministry, his disciples, and he's sitting around with his disciples, and he's talking with them, and he asks them a question. He says, who do men say that I am? Right, and you got these 12 guys sitting there, and then one guy says this, the other guy says this, the other guy says this, and then Peter stands up and says, no, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and said, you are absolutely right, Peter. And it is on this identity that I will build a movement a movement that the world has never seen before. I will build my church and my faith on this core identity, on this core belief that I am the Son of God. This is the foundational belief of the movement of the church that will change the world forever. And even till this day, think about it, if you bring two Christians from totally different ends of the world, from different ends of the denominational spectrum, you bring them here today, what is the one thing they'll agree on? that Jesus is the Son of God. This foundational belief would be the basis for the movement of the church. So fast forward a little bit. So now Christ has laid the foundation of his identity as the foundational belief of the early church. Now, fast forward, right before Christ was about to die, okay, right before he was about to be crucified, he got those same guys together. He got those same guys together, and now he's talking to them about this movement, about this church. And he says, okay, Now you guys got the identity. Now you got the belief. Now I'm going to tell you what to do in order to actually create this movement. I'm going to give you a commandment that will transform the world forever, that will take this movement of 12 people and will turn the world upside down forever. He says, a new commandment I give you. You love one another. That's not new, but he wasn't through. Love one another as I have loved you. Christ tells them this is so foundational to the early success and influence and impact of the church that this is going to be the defining characteristic of this movement, of this movement that will change the world forever. By this, everyone's going to know who we are. John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, if they don't know anything else about you, they don't know anything about what this, this, this group is going on, they are going to know one thing, that we love one another as I have loved you. And that was the foundational beginnings of the early church, the belief in his identity, and then the practice to love one another as I have loved you. Now imagine with me today, The church, you know when I say the church, capital C, the church meaning the Christian church, like the church, followers of Christ. Imagine with me today if the Christian movement, if the followers of Christ, the church, was known for this. Imagine with me today if people knew one thing about us as believers, people knew only one thing, one thing and one thing only, it was that we love one another as I have loved you. Imagine if our leaders, our influencers displayed one characteristic. Just love one another as I have loved you. Imagine if our churches were filled with love one another as I have loved you. Said differently, imagine a world where people, skeptical of what we believe, they may not agree with his identity, they may not agree with our teachings, they may not agree with our doctrine. Imagine a world where people, skeptical of what we believe, are envious of, Of how well we treat each other and amazed at how well we treat them. Imagine that. People who couldn't care less about our beliefs, couldn't care less about our teachings, not just couldn't care less, disagree foundationally with his identity, with his life, with his teachings. Are envious at how we treat each other, the people inside this place. But more so than that, forget that, amazed at how well we treat them, those on the outside. To me, that's real influence. That's real impact. That's real power. That's a movement that's worth talking about here for a few minutes. You see, before the Bible, before there were chapters and verses and doctrines and teachings and theology, there was a version of this faith that changed the world forever, that transcended the world, that it says in the book of Acts, right? these who have come here have turned the world upside down. There was a version of this faith that we practice today that turned the world upside down. And so the question for us today is how do we get back to that? How do we get back to that version of faith that is the most influential church possible? The church that can turn the world upside down. The faith that can move mountains. The faith that is undeniable and unshakable. So we're going to look at, very quickly, three characteristics of a selfless church, of an influential church based in selflessness. And I'm going to make a deal with you all here. Okay, me, I, from the stage, I'm going to talk about these three characteristics. And what I'm going to do from the stage here is I'm going to put this church under the microscope. And I'm going to put this church through the ringer. And I'm going to see, is this church, STSA, is this church, holding up its end of the bargain as a selfless church or not. Spoiler alert, it is, because I'm, bi- I'm a little biased, okay? I'm a little biased. But I will, call, I will throw this out there, that you as members and you as, as visitors and attendees, if you think, there's something I'm saying here, if you think this church isn't doing all it can to be its most influential, come and talk to me. Of course, there are, are, are more things we can do and more ways we can do. But that's what I'm going to do from the stage. But here's the deal. What you're going to do from your seat is each one of you, as members of this church or any church, doesn't matter, you know, what church, each one of you is going to question yourself as a member of the body of Christ and say, am I actively engaging and actively pursuing this idea of a selfless church or the alternative to that, by the way, is not like talking bad about being selfless. Nobody sits here and says, I don't think we should be selfless at all. The alternative to actively pursuing is sitting on the sidelines, is passively spectating, But right? It's that golf clap of like, oh, those are nice principles, that's nice, they should really do that, or that's great, and I'm so proud of those people, but am I in the arena? Am I in the arena? Am I rolling up my sleeves and saying, no, 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 I am actively pursuing the ability to create a more selfless church? Here in this church, or in whatever church you're in. Let's go over the three characteristics quickly. The first one is passionate pursuit of those most in need. (coughs) Passionate pursuit of those most in need. Now, each of the three characteristics, I was actually very intentional with the wording of it, because it's not just about helping people, but it's about the level of helping people. Let me kind of illustrate this with a, a little personal example i have been a father for almost six years now kay? i have an almost six-year-old a three-year-old and a one-year-old and it has taken me six years to discover something that i'm sure many fathers in here have figured out a lot uh, quicker than me but it's taken me six years to figure out something which is this there is a difference when i stay home and watch the kids alone versus when my wife stays home and watches the kids alone would the mothers agree to that would the wives agree to that there's a difference when the husband stays home and watches the kids alone, versus when the wives or the moms stay home and watch the kids. When I stay home and watch the three kids alone, there's one goal and one goal only: nobody die. Yes, keep them alive. Okay, <laughs> nobody died. Keep them alive. And if that happens, even if there's a little blood, that's okay. Okay, that's okay. Nobody died. And I could never understand when Naughty, would come, my wife would come home, why she would be annoyed because all the kids were alive. Like, what do you want? All the kids are alive. Why is she so upset? And I discovered something. It was because what I always tell her about when I watch the kids is, if you're driving a car, think about the car, you're in neutral, okay? This is the mess of house. When I'm watching the kids, everything is in neutral. As if you left, I always tell Nadia, the way you left the kids when you left is the exact same way (laughs) you will receive them when you come back, okay? So if there was a full diaper, guess what? There's more in the diaper and it's still there. If this kid is hungry when you left, now, his stomach is rumbling, okay? One time, I, this is before I had my last, my, my, my daughter. We had the two boys, and one of the kids, within five minutes of not even leaving for, I don't know, some girls' night or whatever, threw up, like, all over the living room. Like, threw up everywhere, and I get grossed out. I get a I get queasy stomach. So, what did me and the other guy do? We got little cones that we <laughs> put around, okay? And nobody touched this area until mom <laughs> comes home, okay? That's how we take care of the kids. But when Nadia watches the kids, when my wife watches the kids, she is, this is the dad's, this is flabbergasted, okay? She is actively moving them towards a better state, okay? This is incredible. If the diaper needs changing, she sees it, identifies it, changes it. If the kid needs to eat, she feeds them or whatever, takes care of them. She is actively progressing them towards a better situation than when I left, okay? That's why she's the best mom in the world. My fear is that a lot of us are like me, in many ways. A lot of us are like me watching the kids. A lot of us are around people in need. A lot of us are observing people in need. A lot of us are saying that, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm watching them. Like, I'll take care of them, yeah. A lot of us are in the vicinity of people in need. A lot of us may have a conversation, may do something small, but at the end of the day, the people in need are stuck in neutral. In the end of the day, our eyes see them, but the eyes of our heart are shut off to them. That's my biggest fear for myself, for my church, everything, is that we start seeing people just with our eyes, and we don't see them anymore with the eyes of our heart. We don't see this passionate pursuit. How can I actively move this person in need into a better state? There's an early church father, his name is St. Basil the Great. He wrote this fantastic book. If y'all are looking for a good book, he wrote a book. It's not a book. It's a compilation of sermons on social justice. And it is this incredible compilation of his words and and, uh, sermons on social justice. I know it's a term that we throw around a lot and a lot of people use it. But if you want to learn about real social justice, read what St. Basil says uh, uh, in his book. Listen to what he says about passionately pursuing need. He says, do you not see the time-worn remnants of walls that dot the city like so many watchtowers? How many poor people were there in the city who were ignored by the rich of that day on account of their efforts to construct these walls? A lot of talk about walls these days. When walls go up, people's compassion. goes. The more walls we build, as individuals, not talking about as a country. more walls we build, as individuals. The more walls we build, the more insulated we become. You get so comfortable behind these walls. You get so comfortable. And they can dot the city all around. You never have to see a single person in need because of these great big walls. St. Basil says something else. And I apologize for the harshness. But this is his words, not mine. He says, whoever has the ability... To remedy the suffering of others, but chooses rather to withhold aid out of selfish motives, may properly be judged the equivalent, that's to say, of a murderer, a murderer. So the question for us here is how does this church stack up? Like I said, we're going to put it through the ringer. How does this church stack up in passionately pursuing the needs of others? For those of you who don't know, when we first established this church here in 2012, we did something because this business of really caring for the people around us, caring for the needs of others, was so important to us that we we weaved into the fabric of this church this idea. And so we said we were going to build into this church a a vehicle through which we would care for the needs of people outside of it. The way we did that is we created a nonprofit organization called Hope Multiplied which was a separate registered entity, which was essentially the community impact arm of the church. That it would go into the neighborhoods here and it would meet the needs of everyone around it. It would identify the needs of the people, create programs and projects to meet those needs. That was eight years ago. In the last eight years, we've started seven programs here locally in four different neighborhoods. And and, And we've helped thousands of people And I normally come up here and I give you numbers on like a macro level, about the number of of mentored kids, number of love your city stuff. And I can give you all these macro level numbers that are great, but what I wanted to do today is I want to give you a micro example of people in these rows who I'm seeing right now, people in these rows who are passionately pursuing the needs of others. People like a public school teacher who for years would see kids come into her classroom who were at risk, who were falling behind in the public school system, falling behind behaviorally, academically, socially, emotionally, relationally. And her heart was breaking the idea that these kids just need a leg up. They just need someone to care about them. They just need a positive influence in her life, in their life. So she created and designed a mentor program for at-risk kids here in Arlington that in the last five years has mentored over 150 kids because one teacher was willing to passionately pursue a need. Or another person sitting in this room who long before we ever had Love Your City, long before we ever made this big deal about going and serving the homeless community, long before we ever did any of that stuff, this guy was going into that community, was going into the homeless community, was building those relationships with no fanfare or pub or anything. He was the one that was building these connections and building these inroads into the community because he cared, had such a heart for the homeless community here in D.C. Or Most recently, a volunteer who came to me and asked me if we have any program for kids who don't have access to healthy food in D.C., and when she asked me that, I didn't really understand what she was saying, and I said, of course, no, we don't, and she started to show me a huge need in D.C., which is that Certain kids in certain neighborhoods, the most reliable source of food they have is in the school system. So kids that come from uh, low-income families in poor neighborhoods that are food deserts here in D.C. where you don't have access to uh, you know, grocery store and things like that, they don't have access to healthy food except during school. And there's a lot of schools here in D.C., especially in Ward 7 and 8, that will give breakfast, lunch, and dinner because they know kids don't have a reliable source of food. And so, that's great that the public school system is doing that, but she alerted me to this need of what happens when there's no school? Like, what happens when there's a long weekend, or winter break, or spring break, or something like that? Where do the kids get their meals? So she designed a program that we call Healthy Start, which was going to fill the gaps of that. And we would pack insulated bags and deliver them to the school, and put healthy, organic, nutritious meals for kids during the gaps, during breaks. And she designed this whole program. She made the inroad with the public charter school here in DC. And we launched this program last month over MLK weekend. And we've done this program twice. Once on a three-day weekend for MLK weekend, and then the other was this past uh, week or two ago for President's weekend, which was a five-day weekend. In those two weekends alone, we delivered 600 meals to 25 homeless kids because they started with the homeless kids, which was the biggest need passionate pursuit of those most in need not as a church not as an organization not as a leader but people in these rows who i'm looking at right now were so intent on passionately pursuing this need i wanted to end on a good saint basil quote because that last one was kind of scary listen to what saint basil says keep in mind what i just said about the healthy start program He says, give but a little and you will gain much. Undo the primal sin by sharing your food, just as Adam transmitted sin by eating wrongfully. So we wipe away the treacherous food when we remedy the need and hunger of our brothers and sisters. Power, influence, what is more powerful and more influential than being able to remedy the treacherous food, wipe away the treacherous fruit?" He's almost talking about undoing sin, like the sin of Adam was transmitted by food, and we share our food, we remedy that sin. You want to talk about real power, real influence? It's in that passionate pursuit of those most in need. So that's the first characteristic of a selfless church. The second one is generosity that hurts. Generosity that hurts. Again, the same thing with passionate pursuit. It's not just about the thing, but the level of the thing. So it's not just about helping people, but passionately pursuing helping people. Not just about generosity, but generosity that hurts. This level to me is defined foundationally by not giving of our excess, but giving of our necessity. Not giving of our excess, but giving of our necessity. Now, we talked a lot about generosity over the last couple weeks, so I don't want to relitigate that and, and, and kind of discuss that in general, but I wanted to pose a question to us as a church. In a world where so much suffering and poverty exists, is it enough as a church and as individuals for us to give of the leftover after we've built our own treasures and riches or to give from our necessities? There's this documentary. <coughs> There's this documentary that I watched recently. I came down one day, my wife is actually the one who alerted me to it, and I came down one day in the evening after putting the kids to bed, and I came down, and my wife was like blubbery crying, okay, like blubbery crying, and I assumed it was like Grey's Anatomy or McDreamy or, or whatever, you know, I just kind of whatever, and then I looked, and she was watching this documentary. It's a documentary on Netflix about the life of Pope Francis. It's not the two popes, that's, that's different. It's a documentary called uh, Pope Francis, a man of his word, and it's a real documentary. It's not like the the drama. It's a real documentary of like his teachings and his life and his papacy, and it talks about. Uh, and a lot of it is interviews with him, and we're gonna actually watch a clip of it later on uh, towards the end of this. But there is a scene in the documentary. It's an incredible documentary. Everyone should go watch it on Netflix. There's a scene where he has like a papal audience in I think a South American country, and there's a group of people listening to him talk, and he's it's like q and A. Q&A and this little girl all of you know 6 or 7 years old stands up and asks him a question and she says why have you as pope renounced all the riches that come with being pope right and she lists you know the luxurious apartment in the vatican uh, the fancy car the red shoes like all of these things why have you instead chosen to live in a humble small apartment you take the bus with the bishops and cardinals and you you know live very simply Why have you renounced this? You know what he said? I wanted to quote it. Listen to this. He says, I believe that our times tell us of such poverty all around the world, and that is a scandal. In a world where we have such riches, so many resources for giving food to everybody, you cannot understand how how there can be so many hungry children, children without education, so many poor. The poverty today is an outrage. We must all consider if we can't become a little bit poorer. My dream is to create a poor church for the poor. As long as there's a church that places its hope on wealth, Jesus is not there. He says poverty is at the center of the gospel. There's too much gold in that for even me to comment on any of that. But there's a story in the Bible of a rich man, a young rich man. Y'all know this story, right? Good, young, rich man comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do? I've kept all the laws. I've done everything you've asked. I've done everything it says to do. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, this is one thing. He says, sell all that you have, give to the poor. And then as the story goes, y'all know the rich man went away upset. Why did he leave upset? Like, why was he so upset at one word that Jesus said? Tell all that you have, and give to the poor. Like, this guy, think about it. Think about it. This guy has spent a lifetime doing right, doing good, doing what was asked of him, doing what he read in the law, in the scriptures, in whatever. Do you really think that one extra command, like, that's it. I can't do any more. I've done it all. There's no way. Do you think one extra command was really going to bother him that much? Why was he so upset? I think he was upset because he was okay with giving after he had built his riches. I think he was okay with the command to give. I bet he probably stumbled upon it in some scripture reading and some whatever, to give. But Jesus wasn't asking him to give after he had built his own riches. Jesus wasn't asking him to give of his excess. Jesus wasn't saying, okay, build the big house, build the big whatever, build that, and then go give. I bet he would have responded quite differently to that command. Jesus said, I want you to take all of the necessities of your life, the things that you've gotten so comfortable and accustomed to having, and the things that you're holding on to. And as we said a couple weeks ago, I want you to let go of those things, to give of your necessity. As another early church father, St. John Chrysostom. He talks about this young rich ruler He talks about why he was upset or he's talking to him. Listen to what he says to the young uh, rich ruler. He says, had you clothed the naked, given your bread to the hungry, had your door opened to every stranger, been a parent to the orphan, made the suffering of every helpless person your own, what money would you have left? Of which to grieve? Saying, look, you spent a lifetime hoarding this money. Of course you're going to be upset. But if you had spent a lifetime giving it up, you wouldn't be upset right now. You wouldn't be upset right now in the seminal moment of your life when you approached the master, encountered the Savior, and he told you one thing to do, and you couldn't do it. Let's get back to this church. We said We're putting this church under the microscope. Where is this church laying its treasures? What is this church doing for generosity that hurts? Y'all may not know this, but when we started this church in 2012, we made a commitment, okay, And like we said, we embedded into the fabric of this church this idea that we would be invested in the community around us. We made a commitment as a church body, as church leaders and as church members, that we would donate 10% of the annual gross income this church brings in, annual gross revenue this church brings in. We would donate 10% to the community. We would put 10% of that back into the community. Would you know that in the last eight years, this church has donated over half a million dollars, $500,000, to the local community, has invested that money back into the local community. Something you all may not uh, know as well is this church is also about to begin a capital campaign, about to raise money for a building. We're about to build a building, right? We have land, we bought land, and we're going to build a building. And as soon as I heard that, me as the, the community service person I kept on expecting those checks to get lost in the mail, <laughs> you are know, thinking, okay, like, that was good for a time, but now, like, we've got to build this building, okay, and half a million dollars, think about that, we could build this multi-million dollar building, and half a million dollars could really help, everybody agree? Half a million dollars could really help, you know what it would do then? It would build this big wall, this big wall, and on the inside, be hollow. You take that half a million dollars fine take it go put it into some brick some stone some whatever build this big building and have no impact on the people outside of it have no influence on the people outside of it you know what we call that we call that a country club i'll give you another story about generosity that leads to influence you all may not know this as well but a few months ago we set out on an idea to build a mobile health clinic in Egypt. And the idea being that we had this idea and this institutional knowledge of being able to build these clinics and that we would build a clinic in Egypt to serve those in need over there. Again, passionate pursuit of those most in need, not just content here, but always looking for the need. And we wanted to make sure that we could build this clinic and we could serve thousands of people over there without impacting the work here in D.C. And so we set out on this mission to build a clinic and we never talked about funding or anything like that we said we're going to do this we're going to be on this mission a couple months after the idea a family got in touch with me and i connected with a family who has a foundation which funds projects in egypt actually that person is here today but i won't call her out this family has a foundation that funds projects in egypt so we met we started talking i shared with them the idea and they out of the generosity of their heart, came to me and said, we will fully fund the first clinic, hopefully the first of many, to the tune of $100,000 to build this clinic. Generosity that hurts. And generosity that leads to influence. This past week, I was actually in Cairo for the grand opening of the clinic. And I was there for a few days, we had this grand opening. We had uh, uh, a ribbon cutting ceremony, this grand opening reception, And I wanna show you just a couple of pictures of what generosity leads to. (coughs) This is the mobile clinic you see on the outside. And on Saturday night, we had a huge like grand opening with our partners over there on the ground. This fancy hotel and this big reception. We actually had like the deputy minister of health there and all these people. And I, as a representative of Hope, was like the honored guest over there. Okay, and I gave this speech and all these things in front of the Minister of Health and all these different people. And actually, can I tell a funny story about that? This has nothing to do with the talk, but let me tell you a funny story, because I'm, I'm a big doofus. I was there, and I was giving a speech, and the morning of the speech, they called me, and they said, you know, we're excited to see you, you ready? And they said, oh, by the way, can you do it in Arabic? I said, can I do it in Arabic? And of course, the hubris, of course I can do it in Arabic. I can do it in Chinese, I can do whatever you want, okay? Of course I can do it in Arabic. So I said, okay, I'm going to give a speech in Arabic. And I know enough Arabic to, you know, you know, muck through my way a couple words. And so I started speaking, and it was just coming out. Like, you talk about the Holy Spirit. I was just on fire, okay? Every Arabic word, okay? I was doing great. Everyone nodded, yes. And so I wanted to, like, kind of go over the top, and I wanted to really connect with them. And so I wanted to talk about the Egyptian food that I love when I come to Cairo. And the night before, I had just had a food at someone's house that I love, and I absolutely love. So what I wanted to say is, every time I come to Egypt, I love having stuffed pigeon. Stuffed pigeon is a delicacy in Cairo. The word in Arabic is hamem. Okay, hamem. So I'm getting up there, and instead of saying I love having stuffed pigeon, I said the Arabic word for bathroom, which is hamem. So now for three minutes, I'm up there saying, God, I love bathroom. And I wish we could have more bathroom. And if my wife could learn how to make bathroom, the world would be better. And it's so juicy, that bathroom. That bathroom is incredible. And finally, this guy came up. They had to stop the whole thing and tell me, okay. But I may not get invited back there is all I'm saying, okay. But it was this big honor, generosity that leads to influence. The other thing that I got to do there, so this was actually Saturday night. On Sunday, I had the privilege and honor of meeting with His Holiness Pope to And we sat for about one hour, for about 45 minutes, and we talked about everything that we were doing in the community. I talked to him about STSA, the, 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 you know, the great things we were doing. And I can't tell you, I don't know if you can see in the pictures but he's holding the iPad that I brought because he was so interested and he couldn't believe the things we were doing in the community. He kept on saying, this is incredible. Where did you come up with these ideas how do you do these things and his final message to me was thank you so much for what you're doing for the people of egypt and i wish you could build more and more clinics here in egypt you talk about influence talk about impact this is generosity that leads to influence psalm 112 verse 9 (coughs) king david says they have distributed freely they have given to the poor Their righteousness endures forever. Can't nobody take away the righteousness of those who distribute freely and those who give to the poor. Those are etched in stone forever. That's the second characteristic. First one is passionate pursuit of those most in need. Second, the generosity that hurts. And finally, the third is love with no strings attached. You all know by now is when, and uh, many of you give presentations like this. When someone gives a presentation like this, oftentimes it's the same pattern. Okay, you make a point like this, you make a, a statement like this, and then you back it up, right, with facts, figures, illustrations, data points, whatever. Okay, and I'm going to make a bold statement here in, in, in a little, and you'd think that I would want to back it up with anecdotes and evidence, and that's like the whole point. Is That's what I did in the beginning is you make a statement, and then you back it up and you try to convince people that this statement is correct. I'm not gonna do that for this. Because this, you just gotta take my word (laughs) for it. You have to take my word for it. Because I have a different perspective than you, and I'm not saying that in in, in any arrogance or whatever, just because of, I've been running the community impact here for almost 10 years. I've been doing it full time, my day-to-day job for five years. I have a different perspective than you. I don't say that like I said, arrogant leader with anything. I have a different perspective because I see things you don't see. I see the before and after the program, the service, the event. I see the people. I talk to the people. I see them before, I see them after. I see their reactions. You come and you do the important work. You come for the service and you come for the volunteering. That's great, you never stop doing that. But I have a unique perspective. And because of my unique perspective, I can tell you that the most powerful thing you can do for a person in need is love them with no strings attached. You just gotta take my word for it. We live in a very cynical world, especially people in need are so cynical these days because they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're always like, what's the catch? You wanna help me? Why? And if we're being honest, the worst perpetrators... Of loving with strings attached are us, Christians. People are, are have a right to be skeptical. Right? You give them a cup of cold water. Now you gotta listen to me talk for five minutes. Or here's a sandwich, sign up for my email list. Or worse, here's roof over your head, go jump into the baptistry. Whatever. Those are catch attached. The most powerful thing you can do is love someone, but no strings attached. See, because when you love someone with a string attached, that's not influence, that's a transaction. Real influence comes from helping someone and asking for nothing in return. If we want to be a church of influence, we need to love people and serve people and expect nothing in return for it. That's how we become an integral part of our community. That's how we get people outside to say these people can never leave. These people are so valuable to what we're doing here. These people... We honor them, and we love them, and we want them here. We want to work with them more. That's impact. That's influence. Look at what St. Paul says in Romans chapter 13. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Did you catch what St. Paul said? He said, Let no debt remain outstanding, meaning you owe me nothing. I help you, I love you, I serve you. There is no debt, there's nothing. Oh wait, there's actually one debt. You go do the same to someone else. You go love someone else, the only thing I ask. You go love someone else with no debt. Love one another as I have loved you. So those are the three characteristics. Passionate pursuits of needs, generosity that hurts, and love with no strings attached. I told you all about that documentary, that Pope Francis documentary. I just wanna show you a quick clip of it because I could summarize it, I could tell you about it, it's not the same. When you hear his words and his vision for the church, capital C, the church, the Christian movement, you hear his vision to get back to that original question which I asked is how do we get back to that version of our faith that influenced the world and turned the world up